This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. FIFA picks Vancouver. Joyful reaction as BC gets to host games for World Cup 2026. And tough questions that still need answers. Whistleblowers regret. It felt like uh, we were in the ring with one hand tied behind our back. Why the people who first sounded the alarm believe the money laundering probe was flawed. And lockdown at Killarney Secondary. They're clearing room by room uh, to make sure that everybody's safe. What caused a major police presence for the second day in a row? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver's comeback story is complete after withdrawing from consideration in 2018. Only to return this year, Vancouver has been chosen to host part of the 2026 FIFA World Cup. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the province believes the event will provide a major boost in the midst of pandemic recovery. The beautiful city of Vancouver. Like a winning goal in extra time. The feeling in the crowd at BC Place, more excitement than relief. Vancouver will be hosting World Cup soccer games in 2026. When the World Cup was awarded to North America, BC wanted no part of hosting the event. Premier John Horgan saying he didn't want to write FIFA, soccer's governing body, a blank check. The public stadium would be tied up for months, and the risk to the province too great. Fast forward four years, at the end of the pandemic, and the provincial government's position shifted 180 degrees. Once Montreal dropped out of the running, FIFA and the province began talking again. Now, BC expects to spend around a quarter of a billion dollars to host a handful of games. We know that tax dollars are precious. Uh, we know that there's affordability challenges. Um, and when you make investments like this, we have also done the math that there's going to be a return on that investment. And we're looking at a billion dollars coming to BC. There will be 16 host cities across Canada, the US and Mexico. The majority of matches will be held south of the border. It appears Vancouver and Toronto will split 10 games. According to Melanie Mark, there will be as many as five pre-tournament games in Vancouver as well. The impact on the city and the provincial bottom line could be enormous. Especially when we look in downtown Vancouver, that's been really, really hit hard. So to bring that revitalization back down to the downtown core and to have the businesses benefit from this is fantastic. There will be challenges, one of the most significant being hotel space. Limited now, without significant investment in new builds, it will be a bigger issue when the World Cup arrives. Just one of thousands of details that still need to be worked out over the next four years. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. 
And Squire Barnes joins us with more on the big announcement today. It is big for Vancouver, uh, Squire. We do know, of course, BC Place has scored quite a few major sporting events already, and we hosted the Olympics in the past. Uh, but the World Cup is huge, as we know. Any idea how many games we could get in Vancouver? Well, we don't have an official number yet. We won't know that until after the Qatar World Cup happens this year. So we'll know next year. But the general feeling is that Canada would be given 10 of the 80 games that are going to be in the World Cup four years from now. And the most we could get at BC Play Stadium is six. The least would be three. And what would really get the crowds in Vancouver going would be uh, cheering on Team Canada. So would we get the Canadian games or would they give them to Toronto? <laughs> well, I will say this. Uh, I don't think you'll see Canada play in both cities because they, they'll put Canada in a group and that group will play in a certain region. However, BC Place has an advantage over BMO Field in Toronto. For one thing, it has more seats. It also has better luxury box situations. It has a better chance to host like, um, well, they love to host parties at these games. They love to bring in sponsors. They love to have hospitality events. So BC Place is far better for that than BMO in Toronto. Even though they're going to spruce BMO up, BC Place still has the edge there. All right, well, uh, cross your fingers for Team Canada games here. I'm doing it. <laughs> Thanks, Squire. And more coverage later in the sportscast as well. Right now, though, the people who first blew the whistle on money laundering in B.C. casinos watched the release of the final report yesterday with feelings of frustration and disappointment. The panel found no evidence of corruption on the part of politicians or casino executives. John Waugh caught up with two whistleblowers who first came forward at great risk to their reputations and why they say they'd still do it all over again. From the very beginning, the bags of suspicious cash caught their attention. I knew what I was seeing was wrong. And they say they felt in their hearts something had to be done. It was deeply disturbing to me. Wanting to do the right thing turned Muriel Labine and Fred Pinnock into whistleblowers. The Cullen Commission's final report into money laundering, making them wonder, was it worth it? Betrayed. I felt betrayed uh, for something to go on for that many years. The former Great Canadian Casino dealer supervisor, who kept a diary of staff interactions with suspected gangsters and loan sharks, says BC's public inquiry into money laundering did not go far enough. I expected there to be at least some action being taken, some names named. The finding that casino operators, government agencies, law enforcement and politicians all knew the cash entering casinos was likely the proceeds of crime, did little to stop it, and still no corruption was found. It's hard for this whistleblower to take. Lack of will. Ridiculous. A ridiculous statement. For 20 years there was a lack of will? Nonsense. Criminal investigations to be undertaken. People need to go to jail for this. Fred Pinnock, the former commander of BC's illegal gaming task force, questions a public inquiry process that seemed to better protect those accused of wrongdoing than whistleblowers hoping to do the right thing. It felt like an unlevel playing field. It felt like uh, we were in the ring with one hand tied behind our back. While formal participants were awarded legal representation to guard the risk to their reputations, as a whistleblower witness, Pinnock says he had no guidance or support. I was su surprised with the adversarial uh, conduct uh, displayed by Commission Counsel. For updating statements and secretly recording conversations with former B.C. Liberal Cabinet Minister Cash Heed, Pinnock's credibility was ultimately challenged 
in the Cullen Commission report. I told the truth. Uh, it's not always pretty. Some people will take issue with what I've done. Uh, I accept that. While both Pinnock and Labine say they would still do it all over again, they worry what message this process sends to potential whistleblowers. Don't come forward. You have no protection. You're probably going to lose your job, and they may not believe you. And without them, there arguably would have never been a Cullen Commission into money laundering in this province. Sean Hua, Global News. The trial of a Dutch man accused of harassing and extorting B.C. teenager Amanda Todd before she took her own life heard today from more witnesses from the Netherlands. And as Vermina Dea reports, new photo evidence was released to the media. Who sexually blackmailed 15-year-old Amanda Todd before she killed herself a decade ago? This case hinges on identity. The jury hearing from two Dutch witnesses via video who testified they met a man named Jay about renting an apartment in Rotterdam in the Netherlands in May 2011. Both women said the man they were dealing with matched a passport photo they were emailed. The photos shown in court both women testified the man also emailed them the same phone number. In opening arguments, Crown said it would use a phone number to link the accused, 43-year-old Aidan Coban, to online accounts he allegedly used to harass Amanda half a world away. Martin Boustra, a former digital forensic investigator with the Dutch National Police, was with the child exploitation team in 2014 when he searched the cabin where Coban was arrested. Boustra told the jury he discovered a laptop running an operating system specifically crafted to be used by hackers. Defense has previously said there's no question Amanda was the victim of crimes, but there must be proof beyond a reasonable doubt who was behind the messages. Coban has pleaded not guilty to all charges. Romina Dea, Global News. An infant is among three people killed in a multi-vehicle crash north of Kamloops this morning. It happened on Highway 5 near the tiny community of Vinsula between Kamloops and Barrier around 11 o'clock. RCMP say two adults and one infant were killed in a collision involving a semi-truck. The highway has been reopened, but drivers are being warned to expect major delays. It's not known what caused the crash. This is the second fatal crash on the highway in just 16 hours. The passenger in a pickup was killed in a head-on with a semi just south of Little Fort last night. Victoria Police have released video of a hit and run over the weekend. Keep an eye on the top left of your screen. Police officers were called when a woman standing in the intersection of Douglas and Courtney Streets seems to step into the path of a car just before 3 a.m. Saturday, June 11th. The pedestrian was taken to hospital but wasn't seriously hurt. The car is described as a gray BMW sedan. It was last seen leaving the area east on Courtney Street. If you have any information, you're asked to call Victoria Police. A new poll indicates there is some strong opposition to the province's plan for a multi-million dollar rebuild of the Royal BC Museum. Keith Baldry joins us live with more on the results of that poll and whether or not it's really hurting the provincial government. Keith? 
Yeah, the headline on the Angus Reid poll today says it all. The museum project, replacement project, has landed with a thud. And thud doesn't begin to capture exactly what's going on in terms of public opposition to this project. Eight years to build, uh, almost a billion dollars in total money with that and the archives, and again, came in, coming out of nowhere. So Angus Reid uh, decided to sample public opinion on this, and here are the numbers. So again, in terms of support for the uh, opposition of the project, at 69%, just 22% support it. Very low. Uh, 8% are unsure. But does it have an impact on the government's popularity? Short answer, no. So on decided vote, the NDP's at 42%. The BC Liberals are 11 points back at 31 The Greens are in a holding pattern at 15%. But interestingly enough, the Conservatives are at 10%. I'll have more to say about that Conservative after we hear from uh, pollster uh, Shachi Curl and Green Party MLA Adam Olson, who's a firm opponent of the museum project. Here's the two of them. If they decide to continue to go forward this project with this project, it's going to continue to get worse for them. And I think that what British Columbians want is a government that listens to them, that is able to reflect and be thoughtful, uh, kind of like the government that we saw when we were in a minority. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we've, we, the NDP have lost their way on that. This uh, museum announcement comes in from left field, really, to many British Columbians and caught them off guard. And they are asking why this priority, why this much at a time when there are other pressing issues to deal with. So over time, we'll see if the museum project does drive down the popularity of the NDP government. But I note the 10% now parked with the VC Conservatives. Uh, today, the Liberals announced they want the vaccine mandates eliminated for healthcare workers and for unvaccinated health wor healthcare workers to return to the job. That's a position that courts the right. And that tells me they're trying to bring that Conservative number down uh, far below 10%, because those are disaffected BC Liberal voters, and they need those voters if they want to re restore power in BC. Indeed. Okay. Thanks very much, Keith. Parents and students on edge at an East Vancouver school after yesterday's bear spraying incident. Another weapons call and a major police presence today. What parents say about their children's safety in just over a minute. Oh, can you just retrieve it for us? Crackdown on illegal ride hailing and the sting operation that caught a driver in the act. And the effort to keep off-roaders out of an area they love later. Right now, though, for the second day in a row, Killarney Secondary was placed in lockdown after a call to 911 reporting someone with a weapon in the school. That has many parents questioning the school's safety and whether it might be time to bring back school liaison officers right across the Vancouver School District. And Madagahi has the story. Everyone was shouting to go into their class. For the second consecutive day, police and parents rushed to an East Vancouver high school. I got a text from my son that we didn't get a call from the school or anything, so I just rushed over right away here. He says he's okay, but he's scared. Inside Killarney Secondary Thursday morning, what Vancouver police call a credible report of someone with a weapon. Uh, based on that information, uh, we responded, um, believing that there was potentially an active threat in the school. For roughly 90 minutes, parents anxiously waited outside, sending text messages to students hiding in classrooms, while police conducted a room-by-room -room search for victims and suspects. In the end, neither were found. Everything happening in the States, you know, it's just, it's really concerning as a parent. The lockdown was over by lunch hour, but the VPD continued their investigation into reports the weapon may have been an axe. It's also worth noting the same high school 
was evacuated yesterday after bear spray was set off, causing a number of precautionary hospital visits. Obviously, part of our investigation uh, will be to determine if there are any links between that incident, the bear spraying incident, and today's incident. If we had a police liaison here, I would feel a lot better knowing that there was someone at the school. During the immediate aftermath of Thursday's lockdown, parents questioned a decision made last spring by the Vancouver School Board to remove the school liaison officer program, although the district says there is no correlation. There's no doubt that having school liaison officers, in our mind, in the schools was a valuable service not only to school administrators and to school students. We would have loved to have continued the program, but that wasn't our decision. At this point in the police investigation, it appears to be too early to say if there was someone with a weapon, and if there was, whether it was a student. Imadagahi, Global News. Just ahead, a high-water mystery in the interior. People in the area were reporting hearing trees falling into the river. A woman and her dog disappear while the search has been suspended. And a little later, graffiti gratitude. Street artists take a wrong and make it right for a Chinatown merchant hit by vandals. Traffic is steady over here tonight in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just keep in mind that there are overnight lane closures for maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Out of Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. A young Kelowna woman and her dog are still missing tonight, presumed to have been swept away by the fast-moving waters of Mission Creek. Poor weather is forcing the search for Chelsea Cardnote to be put on hold. After two intense days of searching, Claudia Van Emmerich has the latest. Raging waters in Mission Creek and weather conditions have temporarily suspended the search for a missing Kelowna woman, believed to have been swept away by the fast-moving water. At the present time, uh, we have been stood down. Uh, at, with the conditions of the water, it's not feasible. It's safe for to have our members close to it at, at this time. The search for Chelsea Cardinal and her nine-month-old pup named JJ was launched Tuesday afternoon. And while no one knows exactly what happened to the 31-year-old, search crews say all indications point to the water. She normally walked her dog in that area. So her par car was parked next to that area. So the RCMP and us are looking at the fact that she would have walked her dog in that area and maybe had got caught up with the river raging at that time. The creek flow described as intense at the time Cardinal would have been walking nearby. I was told that the creek was running at 96.2 cubic meters per second. People in the area were reporting hearing trees falling into the river and the banks were falling away. Chelsea Cardinal was last seen early Tuesday morning when she left her Rutland home to walk her German Shepherd near the Mission Greenway. Her white BMW was found up there on Pasadena Road. And that's why the search operation began here along this section of Greenway and spanned from there. So we've had drones, we've had helicopters, we've had our e-bike teams go through, we've put members in the field. 
police urging the public to be extra cautious around waterways this time of year. The volume of water that's coming down the Mission Creek and, and a lot of our other waterways around the Okanagan, extremely high and we still have a very high snowpack and as you can see it's raining. So all that's adding up to, to it being very dangerous to be in and around the water. As police appeal to the public to keep a lookout for Cardinal, who was wearing a red puffy jacket at the time, and her dog, they're also doing what they can to support her family. It's stressful, but they are being supported by our victim services. We're trying to give them as much support as possible, and uh, we will continue to do so until we come to a conclusion with this. RCMP hope to get search crews back to Mission Creek as soon as it's safe to do so, hopefully by the weekend. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. The Penticton River Channel opens this weekend for a float, but it does come with a warning. The current's moving so quickly, it basically flattens you against the concrete barricade and then pushes you against it. The seven-kilometer channel float in Penticton is a must-do when the weather warms up, but right now, Okanagan Lake is full, so officials are channeling more water than normal down to Skaha Lake. The flow is much faster than normal. In fact, the volume is more than the channel was designed for, and fire officials warn people have drowned in the past. I just want to encourage the, the residents and the visitors that are coming to Penticton to be mindful of that and, and especially watch out for the children because they can, they, can, they can slip away very quickly and you will not be able to catch up with them. Penticton has activated its emergency operations center with water levels as high as they are. Okanagan Lake has reached full pool. The fire department plans to deploy sandbags to prevent any flood damage. Coming up, legal cannabis and a broken promise. They still have yet to receive a, a penny of, of tax revenue. Municipalities wonder what the government is doing with the tax revenue they're supposed to share. And WestJet changes course how the airline is revamping service to some of the destinations you love to fly. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel, so two lanes in both directions, and just seeing a bit of a backup for southbound traffic from Blundell. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Richmond RCMP are cracking down on another illegal ride-hailing operator, this time near YVR Airport. Mounties nabbed the driver of a white Tesla, who they say was running an unlicensed ride-hailing business in the city. The passenger transportation branch says a number of companies are operating illegally in the Lower Mainland, most notably Raccoon Go and Udi. Officials say anyone considering a ride from one of these drivers is taking a risk. The drivers don't undergo driver or criminal record checks, so you don't know who's going in there. Um, they don't have class four driver's licenses, so they're not trained the same way as a class four driver would. And if they're, if they're providing a commercial service um, without being licensed and without the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia, Columbia knowing, they could be uh, denied their insurance claims. 
Mounties and the Transportation Ministry teamed up to catch and disrupt four illegal operators in Richmond earlier this month. Each was fined around $1,800. A major shakeup is in the works for Canada's aviation industry. WestJet has announced a return to its Western Canadian roots. In a blog post, the company's new CEO says the airline will concentrate on the West. The airline will cancel a planned expansion of its wide-body Dreamliner fleet and downsize its fleet of regional turboprops, all in a bid to cut costs and compete in the low-fare market. The announcement will essentially leave Air Canada as the country's only full-service nationwide airline. I didn't see this one coming. I think this is great news for anyone living in the West. During the course of the pandemic, we saw a lot of carriers actually shift away from doing their departures out of YVR, as well as Calgary and Edmonton. You think of all the destinations that you can go to from Toronto and Montreal nonstop in the Caribbean and Europe that we just don't have service out of the West. So it would be great. My fingers and toes are crossed that we get some, some new destinations. The changes at WestJet are expected to be implemented by next summer. There are a lot of questions tonight about where the millions of dollars in tax revenue from legalized marijuana is going. As Catherine Urquhart reports, local governments say they haven't received a penny of the cannabis cash that was promised when the rules were changed nearly four years ago. So here at Mood, we've got uh, quite a selection of gummies and edibles, including chocolates, uh, CBD, oils. At Mood Cannabis Store in Nanaimo, customers can choose from a selection of products. We've got a collection of different products in glass jars. All lemon skunk. Since being legalized in 2018, cannabis sales have produced a windfall for the province, several hundred million dollars. But that money is not being shared with municipalities. One of the whole points of legalization was to provide uh, access to safe and uh, regulated tested cannabis. And uh, in doing so, they would generate, um, you know, significant tax revenue that could be shared um, at all levels of government from the federal, provincial, right down to the municipalities. And so far to date, the municipalities in B.C. haven't received a single penny of tax revenue. Also unhappy that tax dollars from cannabis sales aren't being shared, the Union of B.C. Municipalities, which notes there have been costs associated with cannabis legalization. We know that local governments have played a critical role in implementing the legalizing framework by implementing things such as local approval processes, public consultations, local enforcement planning and zoning. So all of those pieces do cost money. Finance Minister Selena Robinson said she was not available for an interview and in an emailed statement did not answer why money is not being shared, saying in part, the province continues to engage with the Union of BC Municipalities on the local government finance system in BC. On the positive side, it's nice to see that there's a lot of good BC bud on the market right now. Back at Mood Cannabis, they're calling on the province to pay up. We could certainly use that money, uh, even here in Nanaimo, uh, for different programs. Um, from, you know, housing and homelessness to the opioid uh, crisis. Locals say even a small portion of taxes from all that cannabis cash could make a real difference in their communities. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
A B.C. man is one of two people facing federal charges in the United States for allegedly operating an international dark web drug and money laundering organization. West Vancouver resident Thomas Michael Federic and U.K. resident Paul Anthony Nichols are accused of importing fentanyl from overseas for distribution in the U.S. The alleged operation, called Canada One, was discovered during an investigation into the overdose deaths of two U.S. servicemen. In March of 2018, Federic and Nichols were arrested at a West Vancouver resident, residence rather, and a large quantity of fentanyl was seized. Using encryption systems, using the dark web, using cryptocurrency, makes these investigations vastly more difficult than, than a lot of other things. And even when we conclude the investigation, there's a lot of data there to go through. So, uh, yeah, it was difficult. This particular group, which was Canada One, uh, as we mentioned, was uh, transnational in, in, in nature with connections uh, to uh, Hungary, China, um, obviously the United States and, and Canada. Um, once enforcement action was taken in 2018, the organization was dismantled. Federic and Nichols are currently awaiting extradition proceedings from Canada and the UK to appear in court in Georgia in the U.S. In health matters tonight, an FDA medical panel has recommended both Moderna and Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccines for children between five months, sorry, make that six months, and five years of age. They're the only age group in the U.S. and Canada, for that matter, that has remained ineligible for immunization during the pandemic. It's a decision many parents have been waiting for. FDA advisors have signed off on COVID-19 shots for children younger than five years old. I would have signed up yesterday. I would have signed up for a trial if I knew of any near me. The FDA panel voted unanimously that the benefits of both the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines outweigh any risks for young children. The decision still needs final approval from both the FDA and the CDC. Then shots could be available as early as next week at doctor's offices, hospitals and pharmacies. Pediatricians say the move will offer much needed protection to roughly 18 million children. They oftentimes live with um, various generations of, of families, um, family members who may have other illnesses or um, diseases that would make them at higher risk. According to the CDC, more than 440 children ages four and under have died from COVID during the pandemic, and hospitalizations among that age group have risen during the Omicron surge. We have to be careful that we don't become numb to the number of pediatric deaths because of the overwhelming number of older deaths. But some parents are still hesitant about the vaccine. It's not something I'm willing to give my kids, um, given the, the risk of COVID at this point. A recent survey found only one in five parents of children under five wants to vaccinate their kids right away. Five through 11-year-olds have been eligible since November, but less than 30 percent are fully vaccinated. Naomi Ruckham, CBS News. Coming up, erasing Chinatown graffiti. Thank you for everything. No problem, thank you. The artists lending their skill to clean up the neighborhood. And later in sports, more reaction to Vancouver's first World Cup win. Can we, can we describe it like that? The chance to host games in 2026. There is a lot of anger tonight from conservationists over what they say is a lack of government action 
to save one of the most ecologically sensitive salmon habitats on Earth right here in B.C. All it would take, they say, is enforcement of existing laws. Our Paul Johnson has this follow-up report. We first told you about the situation at Gill Bar a year and a half ago, where a group of local biologists were shocked to see the destruction of prime salmon spawning habitat in broad daylight, week in, week out. It would be tough to uh, think there'd be a worse place uh, for doing 4x4 mud bogging. Whether they're unaware or unfazed by the damage happening to the channels and sandbars in the Fraser River near Chilliwack, the biologists say it's clear cause for the federal Department of Fisheries and Oceans to set them straight and use their power to prevent destruction of fish habitat. But here's what they say they've seen so far. We keep getting promises uh, month after month, but absolutely no serious action. DFO has plenty of resources to deal with something like this. They've got local enforcement teams and they've got plenty of money, including $650 million recently announced to help save Pacific salmon, making people wonder why can't they get anybody up there to stop them from wrecking the fish habitat. Science is absolutely the underpinning of what we do at, um, at DFO. The minister responsible is Vancouver MP Joyce Murray, whose staff told us is aware of the problem and hopes to work with other branches of government on it. But with many salmon stocks in catastrophic decline, the biologists have now written a letter to her demanding answers about the apparent lack of an effective response. I know of nowhere else in British Columbia or probably in North America, maybe even in the world, where this sort of uh, Yahoo, uh, Mad Max type damage is occurring on key salmon spawning, rearing and sturgeon spawning habitat. Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, uh, time to bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at our weather forecast. Nice to see a little bit of blue sky out there, Christy. Mm-hmm, sure is. Uh, you know, it's been a bit back and forth, though, today. I thought I needed a rain jacket at one point, and then I didn't, and then I did. And I know a lot of you are seeing that as well. Uh, we're going to talk about why we're seeing January conditions. Uh, but first, I want to show you the lightning strikes, hundreds of them across BC and Alberta right now. Thankfully, only four uh, fires burning across the province right now. In comparison, last year, we had dozens of them by this point. So with the uh, lightning strikes we're seeing right now, it's coming with rain, and we've got more saturated ground uh, so we're not seeing the ignition which is great news but of course I know a lot of you would like to see that warmth and more sunshine like what we're seeing right now the overall dominant jet stream pattern has been like this which is a La Nina pattern it's really had hold of us but also with the dip of the jet stream off in the Pacific it hasn't allowed that Pacific to really warm up and it's actually perpetuating the scenario if we had a warmer ocean off the Pacific that would help those upper level ridges build and we're just not seeing that so it does mean that we're seeing 
expecting cooler conditions, but that has been some good news for the uh, flood scenario in that we haven't seen that surge of warmth. We are still dealing with flood conditions for northern regions, a flood warning for the Liard River, but all other areas just under a high stream flow advisory or flood watch. So as we head into tomorrow, we're going to see heavy rain in Fort St. John, dry across southern BC, but we will see some rainfall across Metro Vancouver by the evening hours tomorrow. The weekend is not looking like a soaker, but we are certainly going to see a few showers. So risk of thunderstorms again and through the far north, but the heaviest rain will be in the areas like Fort St. John. Across the south, we're not looking at a heavy rain, but spotty conditions certainly for our region dry throughout much of the day, but Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley can expect periods of rain by the evening. As I mentioned, not a soaker this weekend, but definitely keep your rain jacket handy just in case. Tonight, Central Windows weather window coming to you from uh, the... Uh, Steve River. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time seeing my graphics. Um, but this is from Alexander Fontaine, where you can see there is some flooding happening. You can't go across this little bridge here. So thanks to Alexander for that. Steve River, by the way, is just near, uh, sort of northwest of uh, Mission. So certainly the rivers mm-hmm. are running high. Back to you guys. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, Christy. Bridge to nowhere right now. All right, uh, Squire joins us now. Huge news earlier today about soccer. Um, and golf is a big deal today, too. It was a good day locally. Mm-hmm. So we got in the World Cup, and one of our guys is leading the U.S. Open after round one. Good spot to putt from, just up the hill and moving to his right. I guess. Uh, yes. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin, four under. One shot lead over five players. He had six birdies today. Wow, good for him. Also tonight, a graffiti gift. The street art specialist behind this Chinatown makeover. Mark it on your calendar. Four years. Mm-hmm. Four Lots years? of time. <laughs> Lots of time to get ready. You can clear your, clear your dates <laughs> uh, in the summer of 2026. Yes, Vancouver came in kind of like a late substitution and impressed everybody enough to earn a place on the roster for host cities for the 2026 Men's World Cup of Soccer. And when I say late substitution, that's pretty accurate because for a long time, Vancouver and BC Place were out of the running because the government didn't like the terms that FIFA was demanding, which is understandable. But we were just too beautiful. We were just too alluring for FIFA to stay away from us. In the end, playing hard to get worked perfectly. The beautiful city of Vancouver. Even though it was pretty much considered a slam dunk, Hearing Vancouver will host games on soccer's grandest stage is still a big thrill for a city that's had a history of welcoming the world's most prestigious sporting events. Vancouver was not in the mix originally to be a World Cup host city. The province felt the cost uncertainty was too risky. But in the spring of 2021, FIFA approached the city to reconsider. It wasn't FIFA who denied us in the original bid process. That was the bid committee submitting. FIFA came back to say, now you're dealing with the authorities. Can we invite you back to the table? So we're so excited that we had that opportunity. It was like FIFA said Vancouver must be a part of this World Cup so that fans can have a total experience during their visit. The games are going to happen once every four days, so what are they going to do in between? Um, And such a great opportunity that Seattle's hosting too, where we can have visitors go between the two destinations and really create the Cascadia Corridor. BC Place is Canada's best sports stadium with a capacity of nearly 55,000 plus luxury boxes and all of its infrastructure. It is a stadium worthy of a World Cup. 
take it from people who've been around the game for decades. I have attended six World Cups and I can really say this stadium can compete with all stadiums I have seen. Uh, it is a sport and an event city that has proven that it can host a huge amount of people from all over the world. And so everything is ready here. I played here the first game, 60,000 people here against Seattle. In Fort Bears Lake, going to get the shot away. Yes, he does! And the, atmos the atmosphere was uh, electric. Um, this stadium's going to do us proud, that's for sure. We won't know until 2023 how many games Vancouver will get, but they could get as many as six. And considering Toronto's BMO Field will have 10,000 less seats, it's a good bet Vancouver will get six and high-profile ones at that, such as Team Canada matches, which would be a thrill of a lifetime for all involved. Atakubi, head up, inside the six, and Lucas Cavallini! I can't imagine, I can't imagine this place full. I mean, I've never experienced it yet, but I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that soon. And we're gonna give a show and obviously they're gonna give a, a great show for us. I don't think it's a good idea to leave the U.S. Open trophy just sitting in the grass like that. I mean, anybody could just walk away with that thing. Uh, Adam had one today. It was plus one at this point, but this would set up a birdie. And between the fourth and the ninth holes, he would have five birdies, and that got him right to the top of the leaderboard. He'd kick that in, no problem. His second. This is on the ninth. This would also set up a birdie. Also late. He was an alternate to get into this event. First alternate. So he got in, and he made the most of it. That is going to be for five birdies in this six hole. Then he had a bogey, and then he got this. As you said, birdie, which put him back to minus four, and he'd hold that the rest of the way. So he has a one-shot lead. Other BC guys in the tournament, Nick Taylor plus three, Roger Sloan plus six. One of the guys at minus three right behind Hadwin is Rory McIlroy, who's just coming off a win at the Canadian Open in Toronto. He was one of the early starters, three under par. Phil Mickelson in this event. Phil Mickelson for birdie. He keeps hitting the lips. Oh. Phil Mickelson for par. Oh. Phil Mickelson for bogey. He's made his bed. Darn. Oh my goodness. Well, that's a good thing the live people gave him 200 million. He's going to have to live with it. Plus eight. Well, I think he can live with 200 million, to be quite honest with you. Like a lot of people could. Uh, it looks like John Tortorella is going to be back coaching in the NHL. There are reports the Flyers are about to hire him as their new boss. Now, I know there was an interim guy there, but once again, he basically takes over for Elaine Vigneault, the way he did here in Vancouver. Uh, he's been around the NHL, coached Tampa, won a Stanley Cup there, coached the Rangers, coached Columbus. He'll be back. Shea Weber has been traded to the Vegas Golden Knights, but he will never play for them because of multiple injuries. This deal has been put into place so the Knights can use him on long-term injury and move their salary cap situation around in their favor. He has four years left in the deal he signed in Montreal. Uh, Dadunov has one year left in here, his deal. He was okay for Vegas last year. He's a depth guy for Montreal for at least next season. There you go. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Up next, graffiti artists try to turn the tables on taggers in Chinatown. 
Sarah McDonald is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Sarah? Yeah, so we'll have more details on today's illegal ride hailing bus in Richmond with reaction from one of the drivers caught red-handed. Plus, the bear cub who tried to blend in. The story behind this photo and where the cub is now. Spoiler alert, it is safe and doing well. We'll have full details tonight. Plus, more details on the FIFA World Cup coming to Vancouver with Squire. That's all coming up at 11 o'clock, guys. All right, sounds good. Thank you very much, Sarah. Well, we have an update now on a story we first brought you last month. The legacy merchant in Vancouver's Chinatown was so fed up with the graffiti vandalism on his storefront that he decided to write a message to the taggers. Now, as Kristen Robinson reports, the downtown Eastside street art community has responded. For Tommy Wong, it's a new day. I think it's extremely beautiful. When we first met the herbal merchant, he was frustrated. They need some respect. After relentless graffiti, Wong wrote back to the taggers targeting his storefront. They had the talent to find their own job, but they didn't, they didn't do it. I think it's awesome that you put that up there, right? I would as well if it was me. <laughs> Downtown East Side street artists Smokey Devil and Trey Helton got the message. I'm an empath, so I could like feel his stress. Uh, and anger and frustration when we were talking to him. You must be tired of it. This is like junk. And it wasn't like it was nice, anything nice. It was just garbage, right? The pair decided to make it right. With the support of Chinatown muralists and the local BIA, they designed a mural for Wong and one with Chinese characters for the barbershop next door. Chinatown's my neighbor, so it means something to me to take care of it. Wong's portrays him at his front counter with his ginseng products, sketched by a guy who says he once spent eight months in jail for graffiti. This time when police stop by, Smokey has permission to paint. Well, as long as I've done it like this, I don't think anyone else will come and touch it, right? So it'll be a win-win. Very good job. I like. One more, one more. The barbershop owner elated, really nice. rolling his shutter up and down for picture after picture. I like the Chinatown, yeah, same before. Wow, wow, wow. It's fabulous. You know, beautiful Chinatown and attract uh, tourists. And a big thumbs up from the man whose words made this happen. It's fascinating. Does it look like you? <laughs> yeah, that's why. It looks like me. Wong says this is respect. I like it. Good job. Kristen Robinson, Global News. More guys, of that. Yeah, those guys have so much talent. No. Nice to see them using it for a, yeah. a good cause. Yeah. Great stuff to see. Love to see more of that in Chinatown. All right. Uh, Christy Gordon, uh, I don't know, what is it? It's nearing the end of June and it's <laughs> and the jury's still out. It's Father's Day this weekend, I was just reminded. That's right. And thankfully for fathers, it's not going to be a total soaker. We are expecting a chance of showers both Saturday and Sunday, but I think you'll be able to get outside, which will be nice. Uh, but overall, this unsettled pattern is does look like it's going to continue for the next little while. So when you get little breaks like this, everyone, that's the time to make use of them, because as we well know, they're not very they're, they're short lived. 
So for tonight, dry conditions expected other than an isolated shower, but that should die down overnight. It's not until tomorrow evening that we're expecting rain once again, so it should be dry for my birthday, by the way. And um, uh, over the weekend, just a 40% chance of showers. (laughs) (laughs) Will be, uh, your phone will be blowing up. But happy Father's Day to you. Yeah, for sure. And your phone will be blowing up with the birthday wishes tomorrow, for sure. Uh, Happy birthday, Christy. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, too. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm off. Good night, all.